Don't you just want to live there? <laughs> you know what I heard? This is what I heard. Uh, first of all, I appreciate you being here tonight. And uh, I'm really excited about uh, the truth we're going to learn tonight. Um, I was saved in 1995. Um, come from a very rough background. Um, had a lot of issues in my life. And when I was first saved, uh, when God first got a hold of me, um, it was always the comments that I always received uh, from Christians uh, were how excited that I, I was. And then they would always say, like, you know, You'll settle down. And, and it, it wasn't like they were saying the excitement was bad, but they almost looked and gave you this admiration and type of, you know, uh, it's almost uh, something, you know, you get a new car or something, it's great until you, you know, then it's a new anymore <laughs> type of thing. It's almost like I felt people looked at me as if I would grow out of that. Uh, and that always disappointed me a little bit. And I began to run into really two types of of Christians, and if you really pressed me on it, I really wouldn't call one group a Christian. You meet the type of Christians that during revival, uh, when the when the when the young adult class or the youth group is is doing well and it's vibrant and there's a number of them there and um, they're doing well. Okay, it's during the high points they're doing well, but when revival's over or when you know. Uh, they're by themselves or, you know, the youth group isn't doing well. Or so, they, tend to, they tend to get off focus. They tend to struggle more. And what I mean by struggle is they fall back into old patterns. There's that, really, those type of Christians, if you want to call them Christians. And then there's other people that I've met that they make everybody else better. It's just that <laughs> it's when you're around them, you just want to love Jesus. Uh, I want to be like that. I mean, I really want to be like that. I want, I want to be the kind of Christian that, the kind of person that wherever I go, just people think, man, I just, I feel like loving Jesus. <laughs> just to be the kind of person where, man, you just make everybody else around you more focused. Don't you want to live that way? I mean, not just a revival, a series of dates, and you get pumped up and psyched up. I'm really not interested in that. I, I, I reject the idea of being a motivational speaker. Uh, just, I'm really not interested in those kinds of things. Um, I want to be the real deal. Uh, I, I want to be the same. I want to be consistent. I, I want to be the same this week as I am uh, Wednesday night when I'm driving all night back to Indiana. I want to be consistent. And I want to be tight with him. And, uh, man, I just trust that that's the hunger in your heart. And if it... If that gets caught or if that catches on in your church, there's no telling what the Lord will do. So, man. I want you to open your Bibles up to John chapter 5 this evening. And I really want to share with you uh, something that's been gnawing at me uh, in this chapter. And it's really been strong. And uh, so far, it's kind of been a a sideline, a sideline theme going through uh, the chapter. Uh, but really it comes to a head in verses 41 through 44, which is some final statements that Christ is making uh, to the leadership of Israel. And what, we're, what we really want to talk about tonight is there are two particular groups uh, that are represented in this chapter. And again, this is 
This is rather awkward. I, I did this retreat, this youth retreat for a rather large church in Ohio. And uh, the youth retreat was well over 100. That was just the junior high group. And um, um, you know how junior hires are. <laughs> and we're at this youth, youth, youth retreat, and I'm talking about these two groups. And I said, there's only two groups. There's not three. And this one junior hire is just frowning at me. And he's looking at me. And I was like, what? There's two groups. And he goes, my mom said there's three. (laughs) Your mom's a liar. (laughs) That's not what I said. But what do you say to that? Uh, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. Um, uh, But what do you say to that kind of thing? Uh, Folks, there's there's not three groups. And that is aggressive. See, that is so aggressive. That means that you either belong to Christ or you belong to the enemy. And I, I can't find a way around that. And of course, you know, I've been called black and white. I've been called narrow. See, however you want to talk about that. But when I come into the scriptures consistently, all I find is two groups. And we looked at this this week at the, at the last day. Uh, you see, there's going, to be, there's going to be a separation into two groups. Jesus uses the illustration, uh, sheeps from goats. The sheeps are going to be on one side and the goats are going to be on the other side. And the goats, of course, are going to be those who have the same nature as the enemy. And the sheep are going to be those who have the nature of Christ, those who belong to him. Uh, So consistently throughout this chapter, I've been running into this. And it begins really in in the first 15 verses, which is the story, which we really haven't had time to look at this week. The first 15 verses are divided up, uh, and really it's divided up in half. The first nine verses, and actually I probably should say the first nine and a half verses, deal with one group of people. And really, Jesus is the one who represents that group. That's the Christian group. The root word of the word Christian is Christ. It's the group that belongs to Christ. It's the Christian group. Okay, first nine verses. And the last verses, nine and a half, down through verse 15, represent another group who are demonstrated by the Jewish leadership of Israel. Now, the, the main character in the story, verses 1 through 15, it's not Jesus, which is pretty interesting. The main character in the story is a man who's been there for 38 years. Uh, and he's a cripple. He has some sort of disease, not really explained, but he's an invalid. And he's living on this mat right beside this pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. It's surrounded by these covered colonnades. Uh, it's, it's attracted a number of people there due to the tradition of this pool. And what you have in this passage, and it's tremendous. wish we had time to look at it this week. Maybe next time. Uh, but what you have in this passage is you have this man who's right smack dab, the, the main focal point of the story, and you have two different groups that are interacting with him. Okay? Now, what's really interesting about these two groups is on the surface, they look the same. Okay? Uh, Christians, and we've been calling the other group religious. Okay? On the surface, they look the same. Uh, They wear the same kind of clothes. They're the same kind of nationality. They do the same sorts of things. Because you understand, uh, you can be religious, and we've talked about this, you can be religious and not be a Christian. And by and large on any given Sunday, you're going to have these two groups represented in the church. Probably not your church. 
But by and large, on any given Sunday, on any church, you're going to have these two groups represented, and they're represented in our passage. You have a group of religious people, and then, of course, you have Christians. And it's really interesting, because when you're looking at the story, and uh, if you interact with these two groups, it's really difficult to tell them apart. I can't look out at your congregation and say, well, that person over there is religious, and oh, this one over here is a Christian, oh, that person's religious, and oh, that's a Christian, and that person over there is religious. You can't really do that, because it's not... See, it's not suit and tie means religious, or it's not, uh, you know, uh, contemporary, you know, worship, or it's not this. You can't divide it up like that. You can really only tell these two groups apart when you yank them out of this kind of setting and you stick them out there in their world. And that's what John does. He takes these two groups and he shows how they interact with the man who's been there for 38 years. And the first nine verses show how Jesus interacts with that group. And the last verses of the chapter, uh, or of that passage, shows how the Jewish leadership of Israel interacts with that group. And it's powerful. And they're absolutely different. That's the first comparison and contrast. And we ran into it, uh, ran into it in, this, in, the, in, in the beginning of the chapter. Now, by the time you come down to verse 16, what you have is, is an exclamation. And John records this for a reason. And you have the details of the group that we call Christian uh, proclaimed. Okay? This is what we're talking about in terms of being a Christian. And it's really interesting because Christ doesn't, uh, as he's giving his testimony here, verses 16 down through verse 30, giving his explanation over why he's doing the things that he's doing, giving the, the definition of what it means to be a Christian in essence, he doesn't list uh, activities. All he talks about is nature. All that he talks about is, is it's something going on inside of him. And we looked at a little bit of this this week, and I felt that I wasn't as clear on it. Of course, it takes an hour to talk about anything. But, uh, you know, uh, the language that he uses here is, uh, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with discipline. It has to do with something that God has done inside of a person where they're just different. They're just absolutely different. It's like they're, they're born again. It's not, a, it's not a discipline type of thing. Um, it's used in the word, we looked at it this week, the word do, which in our passage is the Greek word poieo, which is different than the Greek word proso. Proso we translate do, and poieo we translate do. If you remember, proso is a focus on action. And poieo is a focus on motivation. Now, I did give you an example of poieo, but a great use of uh, poieo, uh, it's, it's used in terms of the way that a tree makes or you can, the little translation of it is the way that a tree does fruit. Okay? It's the way that a tree does fruit. A tree does not proso fruit, a tree poietos fruit. A tree doesn't get up in, uh, in the spring and say, you know what? Oh, man, I got to get the fruit out. I forgot this year. I do apples every year. I'm tired of apples. I'm doing pears this year. <laughs> okay? Tree can't do that. It's the nature of what the tree is, is the fruit that it will bear. Okay? So Christianity, see, you can't, you see, you can't discipline yourself to be a Christian. And the characteristics that are, that are who he is, you cannot produce. You cannot replicate. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't care how hard you try to be patient, you can't be patient. Because patience is a fruit of... So the only chance you have of being patient is to look to him and say, hey, come and be inside of me what I am not. And this is the language that he uses. It's not discipline. It's not try hard. It's, it's he does something so radical inside of you that you just are different. 
I, I, it's difficult to explain that kind of thing. Uh, have you ever had hungers that you never had before? I mean, after you begin to walk with Christ for a while, you just you begin to hunger for His Word. You just you have desires inside of you that birth that you just you never had before, and it's the desires that are going on. Would you you know what it'd be like if you could begin to see your world the way that He sees it? Wouldn't that be something? If you begin to see your wife the way that he sees her, begin to see your kids the way that he sees see, it's, it's that kind of thing that's going on in the passage, and that's the kind of language that he uses. Now, I, looked at, I, I shared that with you a little bit, but there's also some language that he uses that's powerful, and uh, it's different than their language. Uh, Jesus refers to God as my Father, which is extremely intimate language. And, of course, they don't talk that way about God. Uh, and in the context of, of Judaism, in the context of their culture, uh, that was really aggressive. Because saying, when Jesus says, my father, what he's doing is he's suggesting familiarity. And when you go back into the Old Testament, and this wasn't hard, I mean, anyone can discover this. Uh, it's over and over throughout the Old Testament that there is, you are nothing like God. God is holy, you are unholy. God is this, you are that. Okay, that, that's how it's talked about all the way throughout the Old Testament. Then you have Jesus coming on the scene, and he walks into the temple, and the leadership of Israel are really aggressive and saying, why are you doing what you're doing? And Jesus says, well, you know my dad. <laughs> and that's the way that he talks. It's like, you know my pop. Yeah, you know he is. And father and son, um, when I got out of the Marine Corps, um, I, I moved back to Indiana. And I, I went to get a job, and I, I needed a job. I was having a hard time finding one. My father had retired from UPS, you know, the brown trucks. And so I went down, uh, never been there before, never been to the UPS place. My parents were separated, divorced when I was young. But I figured I'd drop my dad's name because he was a really good worker, and I figured they'd hire me. So I went down to UPS, I walked in, and this little old lady comes out. And uh, she was, come find out later, she was in her 70s. And she'd worked there forever. And uh, she'd been there forever. And uh, I walked in, and she walks out to the front desk, and she's going to help you. And I said, uh, yeah, I, I want an application. And without missing a beat, she goes, you're Joe Bullock's son. I was like, that's impressive. And she said, I was here when he applied, <laughs> which was the truth of the story. Um, but I am. I'm a, I'm a spitting image of my dad. And that's the language that Jesus uses to describe his walk, which is the same language that Paul uses. Uh, he tries to encourage his, his followers. He tries to encourage his, his sheep, uh, his churches, to follow God. And, and he says, listen, just whatever I do, you do. Are you living like that? Are you living like that? And if you are not living like that, doesn't that bother you? My son is going to watch me like a hawk. And I want him to see him. And see, that language should not be thrown out flippantly. It's not just preacher talk. See, this is, this is not, it's not super Christianity. This is ordinary, average, every day. You've got to have it. You're not getting into heaven without it type of stuff. And when the leadership of Israel come up and really begin to press him on the kind of lifestyle that he's living, see, he does this. Why do you do the things you do? See, Jesus doesn't say, well... It's, because I go to church on Sunday. <laughs> he doesn't talk like that. How's your walk? Well, I've been trying to read my Bible more. You know, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. 
I don't lie. I don't have sex before marriage. He never talks like that. And when they come up and begin to, and begin to press him on, on why do you do the things you do? He says, well, I take after my father. See, the things that are going on inside of him that makes him do what he does, see, those things are going on inside of me and I just cannot help myself. And Christianity is not a discipline. It's just I can't help myself. See, why did you treat that person the way you treated them? I just couldn't help it. I just saw him through the eyes of the Father. And, and we don't have time to go through this. <laughs> We're going through it. But if you would go back into the, in the first 15 verses, you see Jesus coming into the temple and he sees this, this man sitting by this well and you're faced with the decision of why, why did Jesus intersect this man's life? He couldn't help it. He saw him through the eyes of the Father and he was just compelled. And he acted. That's the group. That's the Christian group. That's, that's the, one of the definitions, one of the characteristics. Now, when you come over to the religious group, and of course, we've been rather bold, and, and really it's the satanic group, which is, that never preaches well. Uh, I mean, it preaches great, but, you know, it's rather abrasive. Um, see, they don't respond well to that. And what you have is, and this is the section we've been looking at this week, verses 31 through the end of the chapter, Jesus supplies these other witnesses. And in essence, what he's saying is, listen, I'm not the only one talking about this. In fact, it's not even my material. Everything that I'm telling you, hey, the Father has already talked about. And of course, that's in verses 37 through 38. And the Father's testimony, which the Father has been speaking about this, we already know how they've handled that. They have rejected his testimony. Verse 37 says, And the Father who sent me has himself. That's emphatic. Okay? Uh... And again, I've I, I really wanted you to connect these thoughts together. See, this is so important to God, what he's going to do in the life of Jesus, that he did not delegate it. Okay? That God was personally involved in this. He did, see, it wasn't like a, God says, I want you to do this, and he sends it along. And See, God himself is involved in this. He's not, this is not a delegated type of thing. I mean, this is, there, there's no one that's going to be able to take his place in testifying about the Son. And Jesus says, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. In other words, hey, the same thing that I'm telling you, the Father sold you the same thing. But we already know how you've responded, is what Jesus says. You've never heard his voice. And heard his voice does not mean, uh, you know, I didn't hear it. Because uh, then you wouldn't be responsible. You ever get yelled at by your wife for not hearing something? I do all the time. Corinna says, and normally it's going to the store. And I don't think she said it when it really comes down to it. She's not here. <laughs> but you know, she'll say, don't forget this. And then I'll come back and I won't have it. I say, I didn't hear you. And that's, I'm not responsible. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? It's not kind of like, you know, well, they didn't hear his voice. Hearing, the definition of not hearing his voice really means, again, it's consistent with the passage, they belong to the enemy. Jesus is the reason you do not hear is you belong to your father, the devil. And you choose not to hear. So they have, in, in fact, heard exactly, exactly what Jesus has been telling them before, but they did not respond. And again, I don't know how that strikes you, but that is weighty. That tells me every time I know, what does James say? He who knows what is right and does not do it, that for him is sin. And every time I know exactly how he wants me to live and I say no, what I'm really saying is no thank you, I'd rather belong to the enemy in this area of my life. No thank you, I'd really rather talk to my wife the way that Satan would. No thank you, I'd really rather watch the programs on television that the enemy would. No, I'd really like to look at women the way that the enemy does. No, I'd really like to look at that person in the church the way that Satan does. See, that, that's how critical this is. 
And, and I don't know how you are, but see, I've treated things like that in my life so trivial. You know what I'm saying? Little things. Perhaps that's what the scriptures talk about, about the enemy getting a foothold in your life. It's not a good thing. Jesus says you've never heard his voice. And not only that, but you've never seen his form. You don't know what he looks like. (laughs) Could you imagine someone who's came to church for their whole life and has no idea who he is? Now, I think that's possible. And this is just bonus material for you. But Jesus says on the last day, many, hear this. He's not talking about ungodly. He's talking about the church. He said many are going to say, Lord, Lord. Many. I was Nazarene, saved, sanctified. I came to church every Sunday. Many are going to say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. So you understand, it's not just showing up to a building on Sunday and giving my finances. That, see, there's something else that's, that's got to be different. See, there's something else that's got to be done. And I believe really the, uh, I really believe uh, the issue is a holy lifestyle. It's everything that he is begins to make up who we are. And the same things he's into are the same thing we're into. The same things he's excited about are the same things we're excited about. What really ticks him off really gets us going. See, that's it. That type of thing. To the extent where when you're out in town and you're standing in line of the movie theater and someone drives by and they stop and say, hold on. Hey, you go to, uh, you go to First Church. Would Jesus be seeing that movie? And you would respond, well, I didn't even want to come. He drug me down here. (laughs) He's got a thing for Lord of the Rings. What do I say? That's the kind of idea. You didn't get it. Don't laugh. It's all right. So he says, you've never never heard his voice. You've never seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. It's kind of in one ear and out the other. It never made its home inside of them. This is what he's been saying. So you have, again, over and over and over throughout our, our passage, you have these comparison and contrast. Now, we didn't get to this one. I want to give it to you really quickly. There's another comparison and, uh, there's another comparison and contrast in our passage. Verses 37 and 38, this is my favorite, and we didn't get time to really look at it. But in our passage, verses 37 and 38, you have Jesus and his perspective on how he looks at the scriptures. Okay? When he picks up the scriptures, it's not boring. Uh, You see, when he picks it up, it's like, whoa, it's like he's speaking to me. I can see what he looks like. I cannot live without. It's, It's like daily bread kind of stuff. You understand? That's how Jesus looks at the scriptures. But what's interesting is, is Jesus looks at them in verses 39 and 40, and he says, this is how you look at the scriptures. Verse 39 says, you diligently study the scriptures. Which sounds like a compliment, but this is interesting. That word diligently study is used nine times in the Bible. And every time that word is used, it's always about seeking after information. And the way that the Jewish leadership of Israel, who knew this thing backwards and forwards, how they look at this is, it's information. It's not his voice. It's not what he looks like. It isn't his word that dwells inside of you. it's, It's information. It's good material. Try to memorize it. You diligently study the scriptures. And the reason they're studying this information, why? Is they want to get to heaven. They want to possess eternal life. Which is ironic Because the scriptures only talk about one thing, which is Jesus. And yet they never came to him to have life. So there's another comparison and contrast. So, and that's just a freebie. But what you have going through chapter 5 is you have over and over and over two groups of people that are presented. 
And they're absolutely different. They look the same on the outside. Okay? They look the same on the outside. When they're sitting in church on Sunday morning, it's really difficult to tell them apart. Okay? Unless you sit in their seat. But on the surface, they look really similar. But fundamentally, they're completely different. Now, the last aspect that really gets at this in this passage uh, is there's another aspect, and it's given to us in verses 41 through uh, 44. And I want to share it with you this evening, and it's really quick to talk about. Uh, Verses 41 through 44, this is how it reads. Jesus says, I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name, and you, don't, you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another and make no effort, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the one and only God? Uh, there's a key concept that's going on in this passage, and you might miss it at first, but it's the word accept. Okay? That word is used five times in our passage. Okay? I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet may make no effort to accept, and that word in the NIV is obtain? I have no idea why they translate that obtain. It's retarded. It means limited. Uh, I mean, it's, it's the exact same word in the original language. Yet make no effort to accept the praise that comes from the only God. Now, when you read that, uh, as Jesus says, listen, I don't accept praise from men. You get the idea that he comes in and he preaches this great sermon or does a miracle. And this happens all the time. And you have people that come up to him and say, oh, wow, man, that's great. Oh, that's awesome. And Jesus says, oh, I don't accept that. <laughs> that's what you kind of... the perspective you get or maybe what comes to your mind when you read the passage but really the word accept is not a good translation that word can be translated accept but it can also be translated take okay it's a verb now um, you're familiar with english right you speak english went to high school <laughs> okay here you're gonna be a test after this uh english verbs can be in two different, uh, I guess you would say, uh, voices. Okay? They can be in the active or the passive. Okay? If it's in the active voice, okay, it means that the subject of the sentence, active, is responsible for the action. Okay? If it's in the passive voice, it means that the subject of the sentence is not responsible for the action, but is acted upon. Okay, uh, it's a translated "accept." In our, this word is translated "accept" in our passage five times, but that means that they're suggesting that Jesus is being acted upon with praise. That someone is giving him praise, he's and he won't accept it. It's it's kind of a it's acted upon passive. You see what I'm saying? But actually, when you read through this, and I found this out recently. At every single time that word is used in our passage, it's, uh, it's not in the passive, it's always in the active. Which means Jesus looks at them, and it's not like people are throwing praise and they're supposed to not accept it. What he says is, is I do not take praise from men. Which means that's a whole totally different picture. It's one thing to sit there and someone give you praise and then you either accept it or not. And it's another thing for you to be out after praise. 
Okay? So there's active, there's, there's motion, there's decision on this kind of thing. Jesus says, I do not take praise from men. In other words, that's not what I'm after. See, I'm not, after, I'm not out to impress you. Uh, I'm not out to gain your approval. And see, that's, that, and I don't know how this applies to your own life. But see, I live for him. I don't live to please you. See, I live for him. I don't live to, pre, to please my mother. I live for him. I don't even live to please my wife. See, there, there is direction. There's purpose. Now, this is really interesting because you've got to get this. And it almost slipped past me. It's one thing to say you belong in one of these groups. Okay? It's one thing to stand up in front of a church and say, listen, there's only two groups. You're in one of them. You're going to be in Jesus' group or you're going to be in Satan's group. There's almost a way out of that. You can almost say, well, wow, I, I was in Satan's group and I never knew it. That's something you could say. And you run down to the altar and say, wow, man, lucky you came this week. I would have never known. Okay? That's one way we could respond. But when Jesus begins to talk about this take, talks about this pursuing language, what he's getting at is, is that if you, whatever group you're in, it's the group that you want to be in. Now, if you're, now think about this. If you're in the Christian group, it's because you want to be in the Christian group. If you're in Satan's group, it's because you want to be in Satan's group. Now, don't give me that look. Let me explain it to you. Okay? It's in our passage. There's purpose here. Jesus says, listen, I'm not after praise for men. I don't take praise from men. But then he says, but, that's the contrast. Okay, I don't do this. I'm not after the praise of men. Okay, I'm not after that kind of thing. But I know you. And the word know there is, uh, and it probably won't mean anything to you, it's in the perfect tense. Makes you want to praise the Lord, doesn't it? And the perfect tense, it literally means it's a past action. Uh, basically, it means Jesus is familiar with them. He says, I have known you. Uh, I've been around you. Uh, you, haven't, you haven't pulled the wool over my eyes. See, I'm not after praise from men. I'm not after it impressing you. See, it's not that kind of a thing. I, I really don't care what you think about me. See, I, I'm not after to take the praise of men, but I know you. Okay? In other words, we're, there, there's a contrasting statement. I'm over here and you're over here. And then he adds to this a little bit. He says, I know that you do not have the love of God in your heart. See, all the things that Jesus has been describing, and this is incredible. See, all the things that Jesus has been describing... They do not have inside of them. And of course, you go back to verses 16, and we didn't have a chance to look through this, but verses uh, 16 down through verse 30 is testimony. All of that description and the hunger and the passion, and and he's living for the Father, and, and what's going on inside of the Father, he wants going on inside of him. And this is not a Sunday kind of thing. This is an average, you know, an ordinary, average, everyday type of uh, a thing that's going on in his life. This is what he's after. It's the relationship. The word love there is the, is the word agape, which is the covenant love. See, it's the relationship. They, don't, they do not have that inside of them. It's not going on inside of them. It's a picture. Now, really what he's talking about here is not... See, our first, uh, our first response probably is to walk out here and say, okay, what Jeremiah is saying is I really shouldn't be after the praise of men. That's, that's an application. What he's really talking about here is a spiritual issue. Because there are several applications to that. Um, I used to... I'll just be honest with you. I used to have... Uh, and we probably all go through this. Not that I'm making excuses. But I used to get my self-esteem uh, off of how you look at me. Whether that would be preaching. 
uh, whether that would be, uh, uh, you know, uh, my self-esteem in, in terms of looks. You know how guys are, you know, uh, you know and how, how girls look at you. Wouldn't it be something if you got your self-esteem, girls, not by how guys looked at you, but how he looks at you? You realize the confidence that that brings. The confidence that brings. So you may not think I'm much, but he is nuts about me. <laughs> he looks at me and goes, "Whoa, look at Jeremiah, man! Wow, wonderfully and beautifully made." That's what the scripture says. Okay. See, I'm not after how you think about me. I'm after him, and I literally live off that truth. I base my life off that truth. Let me give you another one. Now, I'm not knocking this, but I've always thought this to be strange. Uh, I, I was asked recently if I had an accountability partner. And I said, what do you mean? And it's a group of people, Jeremiah, that ask you the tough questions. I said, what do you mean? Well, they get in your face every week and they ask you the tough questions. And that keeps you from sinning because then you have to tell them. Well, <laughs> that's strange. I understand, but I don't understand. Uh it's really not about you. It's about him, isn't it? And the reason that I'm not doing it is not because of him. It's because I don't want to get caught by you. Does that make sense? Maybe I'm reading this. Maybe I've just been lost my whole life. But shouldn't it be the reason you don't do that is because of him? And you don't look that way, so I don't want to look that way. And I don't want to be apart from you. See, that's the kind of application that I'm talking about. Jesus says, listen, I'm not after your praise. I'm not, I'm not after that. But I know you. That's where you live. So he's not, and when he says, didn't mean to spit on you, he says, hey, he says, uh, <laughs> anointing from the front row. He says, I'm not after the praise of men, but that's an application. That's, there's a deeper spiritual issue that's going on in these guys. And here's, here's what it is. Uh, he says in verse 43, he says, I have come, now hear this, he says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if anyone else comes in their own name, you will accept them. Names uh, in, in biblical times were very important. Uh, we're going to name our, our son CJ. And I've struggled a little bit with this thing because my wife, nothing wrong with this, but my wife wanted a unique name. Okay? I don't care about uniqueness. I wanted meaning. Okay? And... And uh, I'm going to get in trouble if she listens to this recording, probably. But uh, see, the, I, I, don't, I don't care about the uniqueness, okay? I, I want it to mean something. You understand what I'm saying? I think there's meaning. And you begin to look in the scriptures, and there's all kinds of, uh, of meaning behind names. And I just looked up a few for us. For instance, uh, when you come back and you begin to go through the Old Testament, you run into Moses. And names, naming in their culture was really significant and had to do with several different things. For instance, one way that you could be named was by the birth Okay, uh, Moses was his name. Moses came about uh, by the way he was found by um, uh, you know Pharaoh's daughter. She took him out of the water, which is what Moses means. You can read about that in Exodus. Um, Isaac was named after a parental action uh, when Isaac, uh, what uh, his mother laughed. <laughs> Would that be terrible? Mom laughs at you, so you get named that way. Um, <laughs> Uh, there was also the idea of the nature of the person. Jacob was named the grasper of the heel. He deceives. That's the whole deal. Naming was important. Uh, oftentimes, you could be named in terms of the communication, a message from God. We didn't get to go into this, but if you read through the book of Hosea, God handpicks the names of those children. 
You understand? See, those are, that's detailed. That's detailed stuff that's involved there. Some of my favorites are um, covenant type of name. God always changes your name. He did it with Peter. There was this changing. Jacob, when his name was changed from Jacob to Israel, that's covenant name. You understand? We're going to have new names in heaven. Oh, that's going to be powerful. I've got a name, and it's special, and it's unique to me. I know that's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> okay? Uh, so, so you have this idea of, of naming is not, is not uh, just uh, uh, flippant. It's not casual that there's, con- that there's importance and, and consistency to it. And all the more important when you begin to talk about the naming of God. Okay? When you begin to talk about the naming of God, really what you're talking about is the character, when you can name him, it's the character of who he is and how he comes and what he's doing and his purpose. And you have tons of names for God. Some of them means that he saves. It's one of his characteristics. It's one of his purposes. And so when you would come, whether it would be in God's name, uh, which was very seldom that was used, uh, or whether you would come in the name of your master or in the name of someone else, what you were saying was is that you were coming in the character and in the person, uh, in the purpose of that person. Let me say it again. If you were to come in the name of someone, it was in the character and in the purpose of that name. For instance, uh, as a new Christian, I struggled with the phrase that Jesus said, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. Uh, wow. In the name of Jesus, I need a new car. <laughs> I prayed that kind of stuff. In the name of Jesus, wow. Make it a Ferrari. <laughs> Those kind of prayers. And then you begin to actually study the Bible and you begin to find out that Jesus says, you ask anything in the character and in the purpose of my name and it will be given to you. So there's content to that. Now again, Jesus is describing, again, another aspect uh, of his group's life. Okay? I'm not after to please you. See, I'm not after your praise. I have come in the character and in the purpose of my Father. See, how he comes, how I come. What he's into is what I'm into. I have come in his character and purpose. Now, this is what's so aggressive. The other group, listen to what they say. Jesus says, I've come in my Father's name and you don't accept me. I come in what he's after and you don't like it. I've come in what he's into and you're not into that. But, listen to this. He says, if someone else comes in his own name, that's real general. If someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. No matter what it is. He's just defined two groups. Both groups are going to be after something. Okay? Jesus' group is after him. This group is defined by, by the character and the purpose of God. This group is defined by Christ. This group is defined by anything but that group. Now, there's tons of illustrations about this in our lifestyle that we live today. You can talk about anything in school except for Jesus. Anything's okay but Jesus. I really found that interesting. The enemy does not care what you're after. Football, fine, be after football. Basketball, great, be after basketball. Drugs, hey, I don't care, be after drugs. There are people in the satanic group that hate Satan. He doesn't care. Just so you're not into him. Does that make sense? That's powerful. See, this group is defined not by going to church on Sunday, not by religious activity. This group right here is defined. This isn't over our heads, is it? Am I losing you? See, this group right here is, not, is defined by Christ, which is hey, the character and the purpose of who he is. This group over here is defined by anything but what's in that group. Now, this is not the first time that he said this, and it really began to come to light. I want you to flip in your Bibles with me back just two chapters. 
which is chapter 3, and I want you to look with me at verses 19 through 21. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about this very thing. You're going to get a kick out of this. Jesus, uh, actually, uh, look at verse 18. Again, the NIV doesn't do a very uh, good job of translating here. Verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him, which is Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe, well, they stand condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And this is the condemnation. That word that we translate verdict is really translated condemnation. So Jesus has been talking about that God has come to save the world. But some people didn't want to be saved, so they're going to remain condemned. And now Jesus is talking about what exactly that condemnation is. Verse 19, he says, this is the condemnation. Light, which is Christ, the character and the purpose of God. This is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness which is, darkness is the absence of light, you understand? But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now listen to this. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Now it's really interesting. See, normally you would find in, in, in people who don't know Christ, uh, secular people talking about Christian, uh, Christianity often talk about this great war, war between God and Satan. And that God hates Satan and Satan hates God. That's not true. God doesn't hate Satan. Just like we don't hate Satanists. Now, Satanists hate us. See, everyone who's in this group loves everybody. Everybody in this group hates them. You get what I'm, after? You get what I'm getting at here? There is a characteristic that's in this group. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light. Uh, we go to a Christmas party, and uh, we don't go now. Uh, a lot of my family aren't Christians. And the first year I went, I really didn't want to go because everybody was just, it's dirty jokes, it's, it's vulgar games, and that kind of thing. And uh, the first year I went, I, I didn't condemn them. I didn't, I didn't yell at them. I didn't shake my finger at them. I just didn't play. But that was a statement, and they hated me. They hated me because of that. I didn't say one thing, but it's, it's the whole idea of... of of he thinks he's better than me. And what's interesting is, is they felt guilt by being around me. And that's, you know, probably I shouldn't even be talking like that. But see, they felt, guilt, they felt guilt about being around me, but that did not compel them to get their life right with Christ. It compelled them to drag me down to where they were. They would say stuff like, well, he's a hypocrite. To make me as equal with them, then they feel better about being who they are. Does that make sense? See, they have, no, they have no inclination in themselves being right with him at all. They, they will not be around you because you are a testimony of who he is. So, hey, Jesus, it makes sense. Jesus says, if you're going to live for me in this world, you're going to be persecuted. Guaranteed. They're going to hate you. They're going to do to you what they did to me. Why? Because they hate you. And there's two different groups. And they're both going in opposite directions. This group's going to him, and this group is going in any other direction but that group. And Jesus ends our whole passage with... John chapter 5, he says, I don't accept praise from men, but I know you. I've been around you. I know what's going on inside of you. You don't love him. You do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name. I've come in his character and in his purpose, and you don't accept me. But if anyone comes in their own name, no matter who they are, you will accept them. How can you believe? How can you be saved? The concept of belief, the word believe, is used 98 times in the Gospel of John. 98 times in 21 chapters. 
And it's what, hey, it's the idea of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him. John chapter 20, verse 31. Uh, These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And by believing, have life in his name. So the concept of belief is literally salvation. And Jesus says, how can you believe if you're into that? Now, I don't know how you apply that to your life. But if anything in my life, if anything in my life is not after him, if anything in my life is outside of his character and his purpose, it's going to bring me to the point where these are here in this group. It's going to bring me to the purpose, to to, to the place where I'm going to hate him. It's going to bring me to the purpose where I don't want him around me. And what you have going on in this group right here. It's that they not only wanted to have anything to do with that, but they did not want that around at all. I don't know how you would uh, apply that to your lives. And I hope I'm as clear as I'm wanting to be. I believe this. If you're not madly, passionately running after Him, what are you running after? Because I believe the days of just coming to church and being mediocre are over. I don't want that in my life. I want to be a statement that if my kids were to give a testimony about me after I died, they wouldn't talk about basketball, they wouldn't talk about Lord of the Rings. They'd say, yeah, he liked Lord of the Rings, but he was nuts after Jesus. (laughs) That dude was psycho after the Lord. Is that how they talk about you at your job? Because if I really wanted to know about you, I wouldn't talk to you. I'd talk to the people you work with. Do you think it'd be possible to go to a job for 20 years and no one there know you're a Christian? I wouldn't call you a Christian. I found you learn a lot about people by just listening to them talk. I was in North Dakota recently. I wasn't there 15 minutes True. I went there 15 minutes and I learned that it was opening season, opening day of dove hunting. Not hard to figure out. You could walk into a church right after the election and go, go Al Gore or, you know, go John Kerry. You'll know exactly who, you know. Okay, we won't talk about that kind of stuff, you know. But you know about it. You walk in and whisper football, you know about it. You think they should know that you're in love with him? And I truly believe that if you're after it, see, if if you're after anything in your life more than you're after him, it will become an idol in your life and it will drag you away from him. I believe that. Father, we love you this evening. I thank you for the truth of your word. There was something going on in the, in the Jews. And it's a characteristic of their group. I believe at first they were not bad. They just let something in their life get bigger in their eyes than you. And it drug them away. There's only two groups that I can be in. And the characteristic of a Christian group is that I'm mad, passionate, flat out running after you. And if I'm not madly, passionately running after you, 
I wonder what I'm madly, passionately running after. I wonder what I'm really seeking. And I'm wondering what the consequences of that is in my life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I don't want to tarry long. I've been, I want to keep you... Uh, I don't want to keep you any longer than I have to. I want to give you the opportunity to respond tonight. What's gotten bigger in your eyes than Him? About two years ago, I began to pray earnestly. Father, take away Bible study as a chore and replace it as a passion of my life. Produce in me a hunger for your word. Allow me to be excited about the things that you're excited about because I'm so tired of not looking like you. Some of the things that I've struggled with in my Christian walk, you would probably laugh at and think, well, that's not sin. Basketball became sin in my life. I've had certain hobbies that become sin in my life. What's coming in between you and your relationship with Him? Have you stopped burning? Have you stopped hungering?